And good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Where Am I? Exploring the Lord of the Rings. That's where I am. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings, session number 173. And tonight, we should get all the way to the end of Gandalf's narrative, uh, one of the longer sections uh, of the uh, of the council, and we will be prepared to start debating what to do next. So I'm sure we'll have some things to talk about concerning the debate. Uh, but tonight, we're going to finish up the narrative. Uh, not too many announcements tonight. Just wanted to remind everybody about TechSmoot coming up. Had a bunch of signups for that. Really looking forward to uh, catching up with folks. I'm uh, definitely planning to be there. Uh, of course, unfortunately, I won't actually be there. It's going to be a virtual moot. Uh, this time, we're going to be doing... Um, our, uh, our 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 digital moot here once again hoping you know uh before too much longer to transition back uh to our uh our old fashioned re um regional moot program but for now looking forward to another digital moot with folks um and uh again that's going to be Saturday the 13th of February go ahead and go to textmoot.org uh and you can register there um okay so uh, that's, uh, that's, that's the primary announcement here tonight. Let us jump back into the text because I am so excited to get to the end of Gandalf's story. So we were just looking last time at the way in which uh, Gandalf's actions were um, uh, sort of... Uh, we were looking at things from the Witch King's perspective and thinking about uh, sort of the whole thing through adding in, because we had done that before, thinking especially about Aragorn and the Hobbits, and of course the attack on Weathertop. Um, really interesting to kind of overlay Gandalf's narrative on top of that, and to see what was kind of, you know, the rest of the story, what was going on in the background. Um, but uh, here is uh, the rest of his journey there. Um, At sunrise I escaped and fled towards the north. I could not hope to do more. It was impossible to find you, Frodo, in the wilderness, and it would have been folly to try with all the nine at my heels. So I had to trust to Aragorn, but I hoped to draw some of them off and yet reach Rivendell ahead of you and send out help. Four riders did indeed follow me, but they turned back after a while and made for the ford, it seems. That helped a little, for there were only five, not nine, when your camp was attacked. I reached here at last by a long, hard road, up the Horwell and through the Ethnmoors and down from the north. It took me nearly fifteen days from Weathertop, for I could not ride among the rocks of the Trollfells, and Shadowfax departed. I sent him back to his master, but a great friendship has grown between us, and if I have need, he will come at my call. But so it was that I came to Rivendell only two days before the ring, and news of its peril had already been brought here, which proved well indeed. All right. Um, so... <laughs> Sorry, I was just seeing the note um, that uh, y'all in the Discord channel uh, had decided that Barlaman is Batman. Okay, and that Nob and Bob are, <laughs> are Robin if they stand on each other's shoulders. Okay, um, I'm game uh, for the uh, mashup spin-off series. <laughs> uh, sure, sure. Um, okay. Anyway, so, um, right. I have to admit, I'm going to need some help here. Because I don't understand this part. This is the only part of Ga that Gandalf's narrative 
I find Gandalf's narrative really interesting. Of course, we've been talking about it for a couple months now. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, even the, the sort of the summary of his movements after Bree that we were discussing last time is really interesting um, because of, you know, as we were discussing, uh, the insights that it seems to give the, the, um, the larger story that it enables us to kind of piece together about the movements of the Ringwraiths and what they are thinking uh, and uh, um, all of that, um, all of that kind of thing. So, I... Uh, Ooh, interesting. Fourth Dauntless says your text has 14 days. Is there a conflict in additions? Must be, Fourth Dauntless. Um, let's see, I was taking this, this uh, the text that I use for my slides are just, I'm just copying and pasting from the iBooks edition. Um, and so I'm, I, but yeah, it would not surprise me in the least bit uh, if, there's a, if there's a conflict. Yeah, yeah. Now I wonder when exactly that conflict was changed. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder. I so there was a there was an addition. I'm trying to remember when it was. But I think I think it was oh, I don't remember this well enough. Um I I'm uh, I'm insuff- I'm uh, not an expert in modern editions of the Lord of the Rings, but if I'm recalling correctly, Hammond and Skull did a revised version of the text for, I think it might've been for the 50th anniversary edition, um, you know, which of course would have been, uh, you know, would have been about 15 years ago now. Um, yeah, see, Calthiel exactly says that his, he's got the 50th edition and his says 15 days. So Calthiel, that my theory is that for that edition, cause I think if I'm remembering correctly, it was, um, uh, it was the 50th anniversary edition that was that had some tweaks that were done to it. Hammond and Skull, the the great Tolkien editors, um, did a few. T- were given license to uh, to um, to do a few tweaks there, and I think that that's um, I think that's where it entered. I wouldn't be shocked anyway. It sounds like the kind of thing, um, and because it was it was um, and and. There are some in the Tolkien community, I have heard some talk about this in the Tolkien community, who thought that it was a bad choice. Because there's some of the, some of the places in the text, there were not major changes that were made for that edition. Um, but, there were some, but the changes that were made were changes which are not authorized by the text. Um, that is, it, they were not like updating using like better manuscripts or something like that. They were they were editing the text, correcting what were perceived to be errors in the text. Uh, and um, that's why I immediately thought of that, because it sounds like the kind of thing that I could imagine somebody kind of look. Remember, we were talking about the ways in which the chronologies in the text and the chronologies in Appendix 3 or sorry, Appendix B three. Where did that come from? Appendix B don't like exactly line up with each other. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, see there. Oh, look at that. I, man, I got it. That was pretty good. Uh, yeah. So it looks like that's it. Looks like it was the, 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 the 2004, um, uh, edition is when it was, you know, like, uh, when it was, um, uh, 
when it was updated uh, to 15. That makes all kinds of sense. Um, not saying I necessarily support that, but it's uh, it is, um, and you know one of the one of the reasons. So like one of the cha- as I recall, one of the controversial changes that was made was in the number of ponies. Um, in there, there, there was an addition. Like one of the one of the first versions of this that were published when they were making these changes was um, what was perceived to be an error, which is when the hobbits left Crick Hollow, they took five ponies with them, but of course they only had four when they arrive in Bree. So um, Hammond and Skull, I believe, if I'm getting this correctly, and my apologies to Hammond and Skull if I'm not, but. Um, uh, if I'm remembering the story correctly, um, they, it was one of the amendments that they made to the text because they're like, this must, it must be a mistake. And, you know, like he meant four and he left in five. Uh, and of course, anyone who remembers the return of the shadow will know like how many times that those passages were written and rewritten. So that a mistake like that could have, you know, crept into, uh, the, uh, the, um, the text. I mean, certainly it's plausible, right? It's 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 not it's not to say it's not plausible, um, but of course, as others pointed out, they had five ponies. That's not wrong, because Fatty Bulger rode a pony and then he rode it back home again. So yes, like they're in. They have four ponies. Only four ponies go into the old forest, but five ponies leave Crick Hollow because remember that Fatty Bulger goes with them and says goodbye, right? So. Um, uh, you know, it's, 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 it, you know, it, there's, um, I've heard that pointed to as a, um, an example of how you might not want to on your own authority, you know, make a change to the text. Anyway, it's, um, it's tricky, right? The whole thing is tricky, but this sounds like one of those, um, that the 14 days was amended to 15 days, um, because it makes the numbers add up. Um, so uh, check along with um, some of you who are especially, I know, um, Flamifer and others who have been really interested in going back and forth and comparing uh, with, um, uh, with Appendix B. Uh, that would be my prediction. See which one lines up. Um, 14 or 15 days from Weathertop. Uh, to Rivendell, to when Gandalf arrives in Rivendell two days. So, you know, is it 17 days? Because I think it is, right? Uh, as I recall, 17 days is the number that Gandalf says um, to Frodo, right? When he says how long he bore the splinter in his shoulder. Um, so, um, anyway, yeah, you know, it's... Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yours says Gandalf arrives in Rivendell three days before. Right, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I think that that's what's happening there. So, is there a difference in the editions? Yes, yes, there is a difference. Um, and again, there were not radical changes that were made uh, in that edition, in that 50th anniversary edition. But, you know, it... Um, there were changes that were made, and they are in. They're they're authorized in the sense of I believe they had Christopher's blessing. I mean, I don't think it would have happened without Christopher's blessing. Uh, that's a 
pretty big deal uh, to, you know, just go and amend the text, uh, you know, in, in a couple places. Um, so, again, it's, it's, it's not unauthorized in that sense, but it certainly wasn't authorized by Tolkien or even by his manuscripts exactly, right? It's, again, it's not like they're, they're correcting the text to a superior reading of the text, just fixing errors. And again, like I'm sure in many places, including perhaps this one, uh, Tolkien might have been grateful. You know, I mean, there, there doubtless were errors that remained in the text from all of the fidgeting with the numbers and the chronologies and everything else that he did along the way. Um, no doubt some errors remained. Uh, but nevertheless, it's um, one is um, taking chances uh, when one does that kind of thing. Um, uh, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Michael says, in my edition, the text says nearly 14 days, but the appendix indicates 15. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, does it meaningfully affect the chronology, Bjarna's honor? No, I, I don't think so. I don't think it's a really meaningful change. It doesn't really bother me. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think, um, <laughs> and I like the guy, JJ, was it you who said, like, you know, to be fair, 14 days is nearly 15 days, right? So it's, you could just kind of leave it as an approximation. No, it wasn't you. I forget who it was who said that. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, um, um, yeah. <laughs> Drow Snake says, I rationalize it as different translations of the Red Book. That's it, right? I mean, it's all, it's, you know, it's scribal inconsistencies. It happens all the time. You know, you just got to be kind of aware of this sort of thing. Um, exactly. Cook of Wooten Major, that's precisely it. Uh, just more evidence of multiple chroniclers over the millennia. That's it. That's it. Um, so, uh, but, uh, but yeah, so when you come across, if you come across things like that, t- 2004 is the date to look at. Uh, because, the, as I say, that was the date of the, f- the big 50th uh, uh, anniversary edition. And that was famously, and with slight controversy, uh, the, the edition that included some additional changes, but anyway, okay. All right. Um, uh, so, oh, no, wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I was saying four instead of five. It was six instead of five. Um, ponies that not four instead of five. Cause yes, they had a pack pony. There were five ponies in the old forest on the right. Yeah. So sorry. I was misspeaking there before they had the, 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 the five ponies, they had their ponies and the pack pony. Um, five ponies who are named by Tom Bombadil, right? Um, but in the original text, I believe they're setting out with six. And, you know, and again, it looked like a mistake, but probably not um, uh, if uh, Fatty Bulger needed a pony. Uh, but anyway, okay. Um, uh, yeah, okay. All right. Um, yeah, and Arwen uh, on Twitch suggests it's the elves with their base 12 counting. Yeah, exactly. Things are kind of imprecise, you know, and it's easy to make mistakes. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway, but back to the... I, I said I needed help. That isn't what I needed help with, but here's what I need help with. Why does Gandalf do this? Now, part of Gandalf's explanation I understand completely, 
Right. I, I understand why he says it was impossible to find Frodo. Like, why did he not look for Frodo? Why did he not try to join Frodo and help him? He's clearly right about that. Not only is he, is it, you know, functionally impossible. I mean, he hopes that Aragorn is good enough to keep them out of sight and make them difficult to find in the wilderness for him as well as for anybody else. Uh, so, um, you know, that's... Um, that makes perfect sense, and of course, as he says, it would have been uh, it would have been folly to try with all the nine at my heels. Obviously, also true. The whole point was to lead the ring wraiths away from Frodo, not towards him. So, um, uh, so yeah, no, no, no question about that on Gandalf's part. My question is. If indeed his hope, as he says, is to draw some of them off and yet reach Rivendell ahead of him and send out help, why on earth does he turn north and go through the Etten Moors and down from the north? Of course, Aragorn rejects that uh, route, right? Remember, he considers that route. Um, but rejects it because it's too long and they'd like starve to death, right? Or at least they would be, you know, delayed while he had to hunt for their food uh, and stuff like that. So he rejects that. He's like, no way, man. That's like way too inefficient, right? You know, we, we've got to get there. And then, of course, especially after Frodo's uh, wounded, it, you know, there's, there's no question they've got to get him to Rivendell as uh, quickly as possible. Um Right, Aragorn doesn't have shadow facts, but see, that's the thing. Neither does Gandalf because he turns up into the Edenmores, right? So Gandalf wants to get to Rivendell before, in time, to, you know, he wants to draw them off and get to Rivendell there in time to send out help to help Frodo, right? He states that that is his goal. Why is he, why is he achieving that goal by going out of his route in a way which I suspect he has to know is going to add multiple weeks to his journey, such that even the hobbits, right, the hobbits, he was riding shadow facts, right? And the hobbits are on foot. So you got the halflings on foot and Gandalf on the magic horse. Right. And even with that head start, he only arrives at Rivendell two days after or two days before, rather. Right. I mean, that's how close the halflings on foot come to catching him up. Right. I mean, in other words, that's how far out of the way. That's how much time is added by his little jaunt up through the Ettenmoors. Um, and uh, I don't I don't get it. I don't understand. Um, I don't understand why he does that. It seems to potentially to abandon both or at least one of his objectives, right? I mean, if he's going to go off and, and have to separate from Shadowfax and get to Rivendell on foot, surely he no longer thinks he's going to get there to Rivendell long before Frodo in time to send out help, right? And he, of course, admits that it proved well indeed uh, that he wasn't the first one to bring news uh, of uh, of the ring there. Um, so that's strange. So so several of you are suggesting, OK, he wants to draw the riders away from the road. Well, agreed. Um, OK, that also I can understand. Um, and he does kind of, you know, take credit for leading the four 
off, uh, you know, on the uh, on the journey. Four riders did indeed follow me, but they turned back after a while and made for the ford. It seems. So I guess they're like he didn't realize that they'd turned back. So I guess his plan. I, I see. I just. It seems like it's all of a piece, right? I had hoped to draw some of them off and yet reach Rivendell ahead of you and send out help, he says. And then in the next sentence, four riders did indeed follow me, but they turned back after a while and made for the ford, it seems. Now, the it seems suggests that he did not at the time realize that the four had ceased following him, right? So that he was hoping the four were still in pursuit of him the entire time and that his entire goal was to lead those four on a merry hunt so that at the the very minimum he would have accomplished, he would have, you know, cut the strength of the ring wraiths in almost in half, probably more than in half. As we talked about, there seems to be a more than merely arithmetic addition uh, of their power when they're together. So there being only four instead of five, not only at, you know, Weathertop, but hopefully even later on, uh, you know, uh, in the whole in the whole, you know, journey um, would have been a, a good goal accomplished and may and presumably worth it. Right. Worth the expedition. Um, but. Um, but it's a pretty big investment uh, in, of time for him. Right. You know, I get. He didn't have anything else to do. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It just, it still seems to me like a questionable decision. I'm just, I'm not really following his thinking here. Um, do we think that he felt threatened? I mean, Johannes, I hear that, you know, at sunrise, I escaped and fled towards the north. I could not hope to do more. Um, that we're imagining Gandalf in real distress here. Right. But see, I have a hard time with this one, too. And and here's why. Um, If he were really in distress and fleeing. If I'm Gandalf on Shadowfax, right, I'm that, you know, if I'm riding the magic horse and I'm concerned and I'm worried that I'm going to be caught by black riders, I'm going to hold on to my magic horse. That's objective number one. Right. Uh, presumably on shadow facts, we know he gets ahead of them. Right. They're 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 behind him. They're pursuing him. The four are pursuing him. So he's in the lead with shadow facts. Right. Had he stuck to the road and just gone straight to Rivendell, he'd have gotten there much, much sooner, like weeks sooner, conceivably. Right. And thus been able to achieve his goal of drawing them off behind him and reaching Rivendell ahead of them in time to send out help. Right. I mean, he could have been to Rivendell, had tea with Elrond and turned around himself and gone back on Shadowfax. Right. In order to try to help. I mean, I think. Right. If he's again. So if if he's afraid for his life. Right. I mean, if he does not want any more to do with the Nazgul, but is still nevertheless hoping while fleeing also to draw them off again. Why not stay to the main road? Right. No, why not? Um, why not keep going now? That's the only thing that makes sense to me too, JJ, that um, would they have followed him that far in the road? So had he just continued down the road, he, he would have lost them too soon. Right. Because they would not want, they would not enter Elrond. It's not like he could draw them with him all the way 
into Rivendell, right? Um, they're surely going to turn back before that, probably even at the ford. So instead of crossing the ford and carrying on on the road, he decides to veer north, hoping that they will continue to follow him. That that makes sense to me. Um, but see, again, at that point, the idea that he's merely fleeing for his life and attempting to escape is off the table. Because he is make, we have him then making a choice that is deliberately keeping himself in danger. Because if he doesn't cross the, if he doesn't cross the ford, and head straight to Rivendell, they're much likelier to catch him, right? And especially if he separates from his magic horse, they are very much likelier to catch him, right? So he is greatly increasing his own personal danger by staying on that side of the ford, heading up towards the north. And, or, you know, whether he stays on that side of the fort or not, he was staying out of the valley, right, and heading up towards the north and trying to lure them away that way. He's definitely putting himself uh, in more danger, right? So that, so for that reason, I can't really go with the idea that he's simply fleeing without any thought or planning um, uh, because that doesn't seem to be true, right? Else, why turn to the north? Um, uh, so, yeah, I, this is why I struggle with this section because I just can't, I can't really, I can't really see it. Um, and if, if he did turn off the road and head to the North exclusively because like if his entire motivation to do that was to keep the Nazgul on his trail. Why did he not ensure that they remained on his trail? I mean, why continue to travel on foot for weeks just hoping that the Nazgul were still following him if they weren't? When in fact, it turns out they stopped and they stopped pretty quickly, it seems, or relatively quickly, right? Um, So... Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe Fort Thauntless says there's some hope that the Nine would become lost in the trackless mountains and cease to be a threat. Um, possibly, possibly. Uh, Ashnazg is, uh, was saying that maybe Gandalf isn't too familiar with the terrain in the Etnmores, um, uh, though that seems unlikely. But if I would kind of combine those two and say he might think that the odds that the Nazgul might lose their way, or at least be significantly, much more significantly delayed, that he could lead them into a, you know, essentially a maze that would not trap them, like, permanently, but um, make it such that they would not be able to rejoin the, you know, like, he's, 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 he's going to get them lost in the wilderness so that they end up cut off and able to do nothing uh, to help prevent, uh, you know, Frodo and Aragorn from crossing the the, uh, the ford. That, also, that, that I could see. That I could see. But again, it sort of... Um, uh, yeah, um, it seems, hmm, I don't know, I don't know, um, it seems dubious, I just, it seems like a questionable decision, at the very least, it seems a questionable decision, um, because of course, are they likely to leave their horses? If he went to a place where his where Shadowfax couldn't go, presumably, in order to follow him, the Nazgul would have to separate from their horses too. 
which as um you know one of you were were pointing out um uh uh he uh, yeah aranas was saying their horses aren't just transport they are also eyes yeah i don't know how easy they would have had it up there that is to say would they have done it why should he believe that they too would dismount and follow him on foot isn't it likely doesn't it seem at least probable that when he if they even if they are following him off the road to the north that when we get to the place where it's no longer horse accessible um that the Nazgul are at that point going to stop following him and 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 head back to the to the ford um as in fact obviously they did they didn't separate from their horses and they did return back and in time uh in plenty of time it seems uh to catch frodo at the ford now again we we talked about how they're not in the right spot. Their ambush is not laid in the right spot because they were not expecting Asphaloth, right? They did not expect to be in a horse race with an elf horse on the road, right? Streaking like a silver comet towards the, uh, towards the ford. They expected hobbits on foot. And no doubt the ambush spot that the four, uh, the four you know, other Nazgul were in would have been in plenty of time. I mean, remember when we did our reenactment on this at uh, Mythmood a couple years ago, it's pretty clear they, you know, I mean, as as it says in the text, uh, even Asphaloth barely beat them. There is no way pedestrians would have had any hope of getting to the ford uh, before they uh, uh, before they 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 crossed that. So. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So Flamifer, I. I agree. I also don't think he traveled for weeks on foot, hoping that the Nazgul would follow him. I agree. So why did he do it? That's my question. So why did he do it? If he thought it most likely that they had turned back, why didn't he turn back? I understand that he says he wanted to get to Rivendell to warn them, but he has to have known that on foot, he's not going to get there very fast. Aragorn knew that, right? Aragorn was like, yeah, dude, we can't go through the Etmores. That takes forever. Right. So he would have known. He should have known. You'd think he would know. Now, I saw somebody and I forget who it was um, earlier on was talking about how Gandalf seems a little um, plus minus on his local geography in The Hobbit. Remember how he's like having a hard time figuring out where Rivendell is in The Hobbit? But that's a Hobbit thing. Um, There is no hint in The Lord of the Rings that any of the people who know Rivendell and Elrond well have any difficulty following it, right, finding it. Um, that it is a hidden valley in some sense. I mean, I have no doubt that, like the Nazgul themselves, were they attempting to find it, would probably have trouble. Um, but Gandalf knows where it is. Aragorn knows where it is, right? There's not a, that bit in the... It's. It, I take that passage, that passage in you know the beginning of chapter three of The Hobbit, when Gandalf is struggling uh, to find the path to you know the secret way to Rivendell. Um, there are a number of passages in The Hobbit that are not consistent with the story as it grew in The Lord of the Rings, and and which to- but which Tolkien didn't change, but he just kind of silently leaves them aside and. We are. We understand that things are different in the Lord of the Rings, e- you know. E- even though the contradiction is neither explained away uh, nor altered, right, nor changed in any of the later revisions of the Hobbit. Um, 
And I, I, I take that to be one of them. I don't think that uh, in my mind, um, it does not. Um, I don't think that uh, there's any reason to think that Lord of the Rings Gandalf doesn't know where Rivendell is. Now, does this mean that he doesn't know about the approach from the Etten Was he deluded, right? Did he think, did he not know how much farther it would be? I mean, Aragorn knows, right? Aragorn knows that if you come down through the Etten man, that is a hike, uh, and it's going to take you weeks to come in that way. Aragorn knows that. Does Gandalf not know that, right? He knows where Rivendell is, but maybe he's never approached from the Etten Moors uh, in, uh, uh, in the north. Possibly. Possibly. Um, uh, uh, but um, yeah, see, but Flamifer, I don't know. I have a hard time buying it um, that uh, that Gandalf doesn't want to face the Nazgul again. Um, four of them. He took on all nine of them on Weathertop. Um, and again, if and, but again, if, when he's got shadow facts, how much danger is he in? Right. I mean, like it's it's his horse is faster than theirs uh, and they're following along behind. So, you know, uh, withdrawal at a very rapid pace is always in his power as long as he's on Shadowfax. Uh, so I can't see him thinking, you know, not to mention the fact that is Gandalf going to be saying, I'm too scared to face these four Nazgul, so I'm going to let them give them a free hand to go find Frodo instead? Like, no, he's not going to do that. We saw him. He he was like putting himself on decoy duty, right? And if you're on decoy duty, well, yeah, you, 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 it's time to run risks. Uh, so I, I can't see it simply being fear um, that led him uh, not to uh, not to do that. Um, but... Um, yeah, yeah. Um, see, but again, Flamifer, he doesn't have to face them. He doesn't have to face them. Uh, he just has to stay close enough to run away again, right? <laughs> you know, stay close enough to keep them engaged, right? To maintain their interest. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Um, Yeah, yeah. No, Freebird, there's no question that he's um, he's not going to make for the party. And he's not going to try to find Frodo. But that's not the point. It just seems, of all the things that he could do, again, counting out attempting to find Frodo, because he's certainly right, that would be the worst, most foolish plan, right? So if we, if we rate the possible things that Gandalf could have done, um, you know, uh, by like a, a, you know, on like a folly index, no question. Attempting to find Frodo with the nine at his heels, worst plan, right? Agree with Gandalf there. But, um, his taking himself completely out of the picture with, uh, you know, ceasing either to like, even like, giving up on the decoy plan, basically, and taking a route which ensures that he will neither be engaging the Nazgul. By engaging, I just mean in a decoy fashion, right? Continuing to run away from on his magic horse. Um, So I, I, uh, so that there's, there's, he's neither going to accomplish that nor accomplish getting to Rivendell, right? If he, again, if he just 
haired off down the road on Shadowfax, right? Uh, and so here comes Shadowfax galloping across the bridge into the Valley of Rivendell with Gandalf shouting, right? You know, to like, uh, you know, call out the cavalry and let's head out. Um, yeah, the Nazgul would have stopped following him, but they did anyway, right? So like, and then at least he would accomplish warning Rivendell sooner and maybe getting more help. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Aired84 uh, says he didn't realize that the Nazgul stopped following him until after Shadowfax was gone and then he had no choice. Okay, but again, in that case, then it was foolish to let Shadowfax go in the first place. Again, why would he think they would continue to follow him once he had reached the no-horse zone up there in the Ettenmoors? Did he really think they were going to follow him on foot, the four of them? Or did was it not more likely all the time that when they reached that point where their horses, whom, you know, as we were pointing out before, they rely upon for vision as well as uh, as well as uh, transportation, um, that they would probably turn back. And because he's not the main objective anyway, um, is it not most likely that when they come to the point where, you know, his and they can by scent almost certainly determine that Gandalf and his horse parted ways. Right. They must be able to tell. At the, I mean, by scent, that Gandalf and Shadowfax are no longer, uh, you know, have 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 split the party, right? Um, and so at that, if if they're not going to turn back at that point, what else are they going to do? What else would Gandalf even plausibly think that they're going to do at that point? Um, uh, that would have tipped the hand of the destination being Rivendell. From whom is that a secret at this point? I mean, where else is it? Do they think that, that he's heading? Maybe they, the Nazgul, don't know where Rivendell is. But it seems pretty clear they can sense the significance of the ford. I don't think it's a secret. I don't think that the Nazgul, coming up to the proximity of the... I mean, remember when they gather at the edge of the dell and then they come forward, right? Like, that that's a significant moment. They're crossing a threshold when they do of some kind, right? When they do that, and it's a, it's a, it's a big deal. It's significant, Right. The same thing happens at the ford. The nine form up, right? And then when the, the Witch King, you know, urges his mount forward into the ford, it's a big deal. He's crossing a line, right? There's a line, well, not in the sand exactly, but there's a, the river is a line, right? Um, and I don't know. I mean, I'd, are they unaware of the fact that there's, you know... Um, And at the very and also let's not forget, who is their leader? The Witch King of Angmar. Think he knows the general geographic area of 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 Rivendell? He probably I mean he couldn't like lead tours there, right? But does he know that, you know, in this area of old, um, that pestilential fellow Elrond, you know, set up his uh, little magic stronghold of Imladris uh, back during the old days of the war. Yeah, Rivendell's been there for a long time. And it's, I mean, and his kingdom, Rudaur, uh, you know, which was under the sway of Angmar, is right around that place. Like it's, you know, it, he would have known. Again, I think it's very likely that he could not just, you know, um, um, 
you know, if you're one of the Nazgul, you do not just walk into Rivendell. We know this, right? We're told this in The Hobbit, and I believe this is something that is that remains true. Evil things do not come to that valley, right? Um, um, yeah, exactly. He had besieged Rivendell in the past. Yeah, like, he knows the area, right? And that is, he knows Rivendell's around. So I cannot think that anybody... I mean, if, if, if their destination at this point is supposed to be a secret from the Nazgul, that's got to be like the worst-kept secret, like the second-worst-kept secret in Middle-earth. Right, the worst kept secret being that Galadriel has one of the Elvish rings of power, right? Um, but um, uh, but anyway, so I, uh, I I again, even if he can't draw a map uh, to Rivendell, he knows they're in the greater Rivendell area right now, right? Um, and I don't doubt that he can feel the power um, of uh, of of Elrond. Right, protecting the valley. Um, that's something that I would think would um, uh, would have some kind of uh, um, presence in his world. Right, he might, it might be visible to him, you know, on the other side. I don't know, um, but um, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so. Okay. Um, so again, so I, so I, I, for these reasons, I reject the secrecy thing. Again, there's, 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 there can't be any secret, right? I mean, none of them certainly. I mean, can can Aragorn or Gandalf, either one of them, really be thinking that the Witch King is never going to guess that they're making for Rivendell at this point, right? I mean, even apart from the fact that it's obviously the, like let's see are there gosh are there any like uh you know good guy strongholds around here that you know have in the past resisted the bes- you know the besieging might of like Sauron's entire armies is there any way like if i were in this region you know and i were one of the good guys i you know with these these elves and stuff where would i go you know for refuge if the servants of Sauron were hot on my trail right i mean it's like again Second worst kept secret in uh, Middle Earth if they were trying to keep it a secret. So, um, so yeah, yeah, um, yeah, um, yeah. JJ, oh, I agree. Like the the repulsion field established by the Tralalalalis is is strong. Is strong. I mean, I can feel that. I'm sure miles away. Um, they just they just sense the approach, uh, you know, of the uh, of the sonic attack that is the tralalalali. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, so um, now Johannes, that's really interesting. Johannes says, uh, doesn't all of Gandalf's other choices depend on him having a fast horse? Uh, maybe Shadowfax chose to leave, uh, choose to leave, and Gandalf had to improvise. Um, uh, that's interesting, except it's not how he describes it. Um, I could not ride among the rocks of the troll fells and Shadowfax departed. First of all, I just love that. Um, uh, I just love that phrasing, right? You know, he doesn't say I could not ride among the rocks of the troll fells. So I sent Shadowfax away. He could say it that way, right? I mean, that's in one sense how it happened. Um, but he doesn't say that, right? Shadowfax departed. Like it was Shadowfax judgment, Right. He's like, OK, so, um, you know, 
my job is done here. Right. Just like the, the way that he, he speaks of shadow facts like a colleague here rather than, you know, uh, merely, you know, a mount or a servant or something like that. Um, um, but, um, but yeah, I do agree. There does, I don't see any, um, I don't see the, any evidence to suggest that shadow facts initiated the separation here. Um, um, now, Shadowfax, I mean, look, I'm not trying to rule out the idea that Shadowfax had some kind of pressing engagement that we don't know about and doesn't enter into these stories. You know, he, he might add somewhere to be. It's possible. I, I'm, not, I'm not ruling that out in theory, but again, I see nothing in the text here. I could not ride and Shadowfax departed. There seems to be a causal relationship there. Because I went to the place, into the horse-free zone, for that reason, Shadowfax departed. I sent him back to his master, he says, um, right after that. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> Chaoster says, is there a Mrs. Shadowfax? Yeah, you know, you, you, you might need to do a check-in. Who knows? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, and uh, Tom, I agree. Uh, the says, I'm sure the smell of elves would give away Rivendell long before the Nazgul would see it. You're right. I mean, God, God, boy, it must... I mean, the smell of elves, to the Nazgul, it must reek downwind for miles, you've got to think, right? Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, what do elves smell like, Emily? Oh, it's... Um, I'm not going to remember the quote off the top of my head, but there's a Silmarillion quote. It's in the Akalabeth, Emily. If you um, find it, there's a, a place where it says that, like, occasionally when the wind came from the west uh, in, um, uh, in, in Numenor, they would catch a, a scent on the breeze as of, uh, you know, flowers blooming, uh, you know, uh, uh, endlessly on, uh, on immortal meads. Th- that, that. I think it's like that, that description, which describes the smell that was sometimes on the wind uh, from the West in Numenor. That is uh, the, the paragraph I always go back to, to uh, uh, help me understand um, what elves, what, you know, what Bilbo was smelling uh, at that moment in the Hobbit. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Patchouli. I doubt it, Valori. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so um, uh, <laughs> Mudmore was thinking the same thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so um, so yeah, I look. I'm not trying to diss on Gandalf here, right? You know, and and I have no doubt that if I were in his place. You know, I would have made worse choices. I'm not saying I could have done it better. Like, I'm not trying to find fault. I'm just saying I'm not following Gandalf's thinking here. Um, there it is. Thank you, Ashnazg. And when the wind was in the west, it seemed to many that it was filled with a fragrance, fleeting but sweet, heart-stirring, as of flowers that bloom forever in undying meads and have no names on mortal shores. That's it. That's what elves smell like. That's I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what elves smell like. Um, that's it. Thank you, Ashnaz. Appreciate that. Okay. So, um, okay. 
Um, yeah, yeah. I think fourth down, unless I go back to what, what, what you were saying before that, you know, um, uh, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. Um, uh, that, um, Gandalf, whatever Gandalf's plan was, it didn't pan out. Um, it seems that he made a miscalculation. He must have made a miscalculation. That's the conclusion I find myself compelled to. Be- because if this were his plan, like if everything went according to plan, his plan was horrible. Right? I mean, horrible. He accomplished none of his objectives in the end. I mean, again, yes, he takes credit for the fact that there were five, not nine, when the camp was attacked. Stage one, gallop away real fast on Shadowfax and hope they chase you. That worked like a dream. Right? It's step two, right? Now that they're chasing you, now what are you going to do? Right? That's where things seem to unravel. And again, it seems to me that the way that things unfolded after that, as far as Gandalf's choices, once he had led the four away, from there on, what happened seems to me almost worst case scenario. I mean, I guess worse would have been him being cornered on foot with the four of them. Uh, on horseback and having to, you know, sort of face them under those circumstances alone without shadow facts. Uh, that, I guess, is absolute worst case scenario. Um, but still, barring that, I can't see things turning out worse for Gandalf's actions than they actually do. So, you know, he neither succeeded in continuing to lead the four away. They were in fact there in plenty of time to ambush Frodo at the, at the Ford. Um, and, and he did not get to Rivendell in anything like time enough to warn anybody or accomplish anything other than getting there just in time to introduce some spiritual horses and probably spiritual boulders, uh, as well. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so again, I, the, the, the one thing which seems to me hardest to swallow is that this was the plan, that like everything worked out according. So I'm much more open to the idea that he had a better plan which went sideways. It happens, right? Even to wise wizards like Gandalf. Um, if you recognize the line, I'm semi-quoting the line in The Hobbit. Um where they choose the right path over the, you know, the, the right road to the right pass over the mountains, which, of course, goes sideways. Right. Um, so sometimes that stuff, um, that stuff happens. So. OK. Therefore, I can't help but try to guess what his plan must have been, which is where I come, which is where I come back to. So. So what do we think is most likely? Um yeah. No, see, Flamifer, again, I'm totally agreeing with you about him being hard pressed at Weathertop. And I, I am not at all suggesting that I think that Gandalf engaging in a frontal assault against even four of the Nazgul should have been plan A, uh, nor am I attempting to criticize him for failing to do that. Um, Operation Runaway and, you know, Operation Decoy was an excellent plan. That was a fine plan. But in execution, it turned out very poorly. Almost, almost maximally poorly. Not quite, right? Because he did temporarily draw them off, which was a big deal at 
as he points out at the Dell and Weathertop. Absolutely. But after that, he accomplished nothing further. Um, every any other element, and again, and the two objectives that he had to keep them away or to get to Rivendell and to get to Rivendell to warn them, both failed. Right. So um, so again, like not suggesting frontal assault, not suggesting Operation, uh, you know, uh, burn the mead hall down around you in a desperate defense. Like, that's not the point. Um, uh, yeah. So. Um, Lupilia, it is possible. I, 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 I agree with you that I do suspect that he might have been hoping to run into them on the road. Um, I, I agree. My suspicion is that when Gandalf leaves Bree, plan A is in fact exactly what the Nazgul were worried might be happening, right? Which is why they pursued him in the first place. The whole scoop and gallop with Frodo, right? That that's what Gandalf undoubtedly, had he met them on the road, he would have been like, Frodo, up and down with Shadowfax, you know, at Mach 3 towards Rivendell without turning aside, surely would have been his plan, right? Um, but that didn't happen. So I agree, once that happened, you know, we don't, uh, we don't know. Um, uh, yeah, Operation Scoop and Scoot, exactly for Thoughtless. That was certainly plan A. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, now, Hythalos, I really like that, um, I really like that plan, um, Maybe Gandalf's uh, Hythalos says maybe Gandalf's story is less about his success and more about providence at work. Maybe he is thinking at this point. Maybe he just sort of has some sense that his role there is fulfilled um, and that. You know what he can do is kind of well, <clears throat> I was going to say what he can you know what he can best do is just get himself to Rivendell and be on hand to help out in which case he would have been better off to hang on to shadow facts and just ride straight down the road. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, uh, it sounds like he has, he has the two objectives and I, it's like the primary objective is, uh, uh, operation decoy. Right. Um, and uh, secondary objective, get to Rivendell to warn people. Had Rivendell been the primary objective, obviously he just makes a straight line from from weather to as straight as the road goes. Right. No shortcut making long delays. He just goes on the road across the ford straight there as fast as Shadowfax can take him. So it's clear that getting to Rivendell to warn folks is not objective number one. Right. Uh, on his new plan. Therefore, I can only conclude objective number one must be distracting the ringwraiths. And this is where I think that he, where things don't work out like he expected. Maybe he did. Maybe he did expect them to uh, be obsessed with him. Here's the thing that I can't, um, the thing that I can't, there's one circumstance under which the Nazgul would indeed abandon their horses and pursue him on foot. And that's if they believed that he, in fact, had done the scoop and scoot. If 
they thought he had Frodo, right? Um, if they think that he's got the ring bearer with him, then they'd follow him, no matter where he went, right? Um, and thinking back to sort of the story, um, um, thinking thinking back to the story um, that um, as as it emerged in Tolkien's mind, right? Thinking back to the old drafts and things, um, this was always a part of the story. I mean, you know, I talked about how in some of the early drafts he actually has a hobbit with him, right? You know, it's like the last ride of Odo, um, who, who, you know, um, was like the cat came back in the famous song. But, um, uh, but anyway, um, it, it, it is explicitly in order to be a decoy, uh, uh, and to try to convince the Nazgul to follow him because he had the ring bearer. So, um, if he, um, if he is hoping that they believe that he has the Hobbit with him, that he has the ring bearer with him, then they would follow him. And then it would be a good plan. You know, the, 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 the trajectory would be an excellent plan because if he can get the Nazgul off their horses, wandering through the woods in that really difficult country, North of Rivendell, he knows he doesn't have the ring bearer, right? So is you know he he's got to be thinking. I can't find Frodo. My number one objective is to try to keep the Nazgul occupied and to give Frodo as much time as possible to get to the ford and across the ford and to Rivendell. And so, therefore, the best I can possibly if I can draw the Nazgul after me and get them traveling around the Etten Moors. I can't possibly do any better than that. Right. Um, uh, yeah. So what uh, Lupilia, exactly. Yeah, he does fight them um, on Weathertop. You know, so wouldn't the Nazgul have known he didn't have the ring bearer? Probably. Probably. We don't, I mean, we know so few details about the fight on Weathertop. Um, uh, I'm, probably they would have known for sure. He didn't have the Hobbit then. Um, I think they could, they would, you know, have like ocular evidence at that point. Um, uh, yeah, I agree. Gandalf should have brought Bob with him from, from, from Bree. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, See, guys, look, I'm just trying to make Gandalf's plan make more sense, because if he knows that they know that he does not have the Hobbit, um, the Atmore's plan, I'm sorry, it's a bad plan. It's just a bad plan. Again, if it's not at that point, it's not a plan that goes sideways. It's just a bad plan. Um, I. um, Um. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Um, I, I, Brandon, that's what I was wondering. Is it possible that like, you know, he was able to like protect his camp such that it's still a theoretical possibility that there was a hobbit hiding, you know, in the camp and Gandalf, you know, I'm trying to convince myself of that. But when we get to the actual description, right? I mean, 
the fight was fought within the ring of the old tower on the crown of Weathertop, and it's all scorched, right, everywhere. Um, so I don't think there's much, uh, I mean, unless he buried the Hobbit, <laughs> right? I mean, like, they were all right there. So I, 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 I can't think that um, there was anywhere to hide the fact that he was Hobbitless at the time. Um, so, um, exactly. As Lady Legata says, Gandalf lit up Weathertop pretty good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, hard to imagine how anyone could think he had a yet unscorched hobbit with him, right, um, at that point. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. Um, well, so again, Emily, what I keep coming back to, you know, what could he have done that was smarter? Keep shadow facts and go to Rivendell is what I think would be smarter. Um, uh, I mean, that's, that's just seems a much better, because then at least you, you accomplish objective number two, even if you, you lose objective number one. But he lost objective number one anyway. So, uh, you know, that's... Um, and I agree he thought of this plan while being chased by wraiths, but I'd also add he was chased by wraiths for a long time. Like, yes, he was being chased by wraiths, but he had plenty of time to consider it. Right? I mean, even Shadowfax doesn't get from, uh, you know, from, uh, uh, from Weathertop to the Ford in minutes, right? Uh, so, um, yeah, yeah. Eru, I do agree. Gandalf could have had reasons we don't know about, and uh, I do under, I do remember about meddling in the affairs of wizards, um, but um, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I agreed, agreed. I'm, it's not that I'm unwilling to believe that there's some wrinkle of Gandalf's plan that I, you know, don't know about. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So. Okay, let me think about this, Flamifer. Why not assume that he's cut off from Rivendell by the Nine and could not survive another battle with them? Right. So, well, we know the five are behind him, so the question is only the four. Um, is it possible that the four withdrew in front of him and so the four were forming a barrier that they were blocking the ford so that he couldn't get to Rivendell and had to go north? Um, possibly. Possibly. But if so, why go through the Etten at all? Right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Right, Matt was thinking the same thing. The road to the north through the Etten Moors would be open while they were blocking the ford. Sure. So, why does Gandalf say, so, since I can't cross the ford, my only alternative is to go on foot a two-week journey around, which, again, will certainly not accomplish either one of my objectives. Right? Um... Uh, yeah, yeah. It still seems to me that a better plan would have been to, for him to get off the road, hide, and counter ambush them. Right? I mean, you know, it, like just wait and see what happens. Um, and 
I don't know. Um, yeah, I agree that those are the only two ways. No question. But what's he th- think he's going to accomplish getting to Rivendell with two days notice, right? You know, before they get there. Um, maybe his ultimate goal was to arrive in time to design awesome looking floods. It's possible, Sam. Um, it's possible. Um, yeah. Yeah, okay. Still seems a questionable call on my part. So I, I come back to the uh, I come back to the Providence plan, right? Um, remember Arag- remember ahead to Aragorn's words uh, after um, after Parthgalan, right? When Upon contemplation, he says, the fate of the bearer is in my hands no longer, right? When he realizes that's no longer my job. And so therefore my job is just to have faith and hope and to do the task that is clearly laid in front of me, right? Perhaps Gandalf is thinking the same thing. I can't get to Rivendell on horse by with Shadowfax if the four were blocking the way from him already. Then, okay, then that's not an option. So I have two choices. One is to stay and try to find Frodo um, or to linger and try to help Frodo. Um, but that's risky. And I agree with him that that's clearly the worst plan of the lot. Um, at least, you know, to try to find Frodo in the wilderness. And so, therefore, the only thing left to him... So, for him to conclude, the flight to the Ford is out of my hands. Um, It is clear to me that the best I can do is to try to make it to Rivendell as fast as possible, even though that's not going to be very fast. So that he is basically abandoning... um, uh, Abandoning both of his objectives, right? Either to draw off the the ring wraiths or to get to Rivendell in time to warn anybody. Um, But that it seemed the best or the only thing for him to do at that point um, because no other options were open to him and so he took the only road that was left in front of him and trusted to Providence and to Aragorn, right, uh, to get them that the flight of the Ford was out of his hands. And if he if that is in fact what he did, then his trust was rewarded because he does in fact get to Rivendell in time to help with the flood, right, to help to defend... So he does in fact efficaciously assist in the rescuing of Frodo by going on this route. Like, that does in fact pan out. But what that means, if the four are blocking the road, if they're not pursuing him, right, because there are the two options, right? Option one is Gandalf riding away with the four chasing him. Um, If that's not what's happening here, if instead of the four chasing him, instead the four are blocking his path, then his going north um, has nothing to do with drawing anyone anywhere. He never drew anyone anywhere after Rivendell, after Weathertop, sorry. He never draws anyone anywhere. What he accomplishes, the reason he takes credit, he says, for and did indeed follow me, um, 
to the north, okay, for a little while. Um, but then they turned and made for the ford. So they were ahead of him, but not so far as the ford. Right? They were trying to cut him off from Rivendell, which would make sense. Um, if they, When they withdrew after the firefight on Weathertop, they would have had, you know, he didn't leave until, uh, you know, until the uh, sunrise. So they would have had a few hours to withdraw. So they would could have been on the road, could have occupied the road between Weathertop and Rivendell. Certainly possible. But then they left the road to follow him, he says. Right. Or, you know, that's what he, but, but then it turns out he's obviously not in close contact with the enemy because, uh, he doesn't know, he didn't know until after the fact that they turned around, but it turns out they were, he did manage to take them out of the picture, um, uh, long enough. Um, they could conceivably have followed him to the North while blocking his route East all the while. Hmm. Maybe. It's a little hard to see how they could actually do both. Um, but uh, okay. Um, yeah, Hythalos is saying, do you think Gandalf is hoping that his audience recognizes that the ring arrived to Rivendell, despite several complications, as a form of encouragement. Um, in other words, Hythalos, that he, in telling the story, is essentially trying indirectly to point to the fact that Providence has been in their favor all along. Possibly. Possibly. Um, uh Yeah, yeah. Um, see, Flamifer, like, I... Yeah, I mean, yeah, they could spread out from behind him in front and to the east if they can communicate with each other. Um, but, you know, they don't have walkie-talkies or GPS. Uh, so if they're going to spread out, if the four of them are going to separate, how are they going to keep contact with each other? How are they going to know where he goes and that he doesn't just go north for a little bit then turn around to the east? Um it's possible that the terrain just didn't let him. It's possible. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we do know that they can cry out and communicate with each other over long distances. But that's not happening continuously. They hear it happen. The, for, the hobbits hear it happen once, right? But it's not uh, happening. <laughs> they hoot like owls. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like that. They hoot once for uh, like a barn owl and then twice like a screech owl. Uh, and that... Uh, that 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 settles it. That settles it. Um, yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I like. I like the providence reading. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to in the end here decide with Hythalos here. That seems to me to make the best sense. Um That seems to me to make the best sense. That he turning north, seeing that he's, you know, by drawing away some of them for at least a little bit of time. 
he's done the most that he can accomplish, which is not necessarily very much, and he probably knows it's not necessarily very much. Um, I don't think he has any realistic hope of drawing them on foot into the Ettenmoors. Under the circumstances, because I agree with uh, Lupilia and others that it's unlikely that he's going to be able to believe, you know, that Gandalf would be able to convince himself that the Nazgul don't know he doesn't have the Hobbit, right? So, um, so I don't think he can convince himself that he's going to get them to follow into the Ettenmoors. Um, so him giving up, not in despair, but in hope, right? Him saying, okay, this is the way my path is laid, right? Um, I've accomplished what I can do. I can't do anything else. I'm going to trust it to Aragorn and to Providence, right? Um, I'm going to take this as a sign that the best I can do is to try to get to, Riv- to Rivendell as quickly as I can to the north, which also means parting with Shadowfax because he can't take Shadowfax with him. Um, so he's going to send Shadowfax home, um, even though, again, now this means he's completely out of the out of the horse race. Right. You know, Asphaloth and the, the you know, the horses of the nine riders. Shadowfax is is uh, is not going to play a part uh, of this here. Um, but. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and Rowan, I agree. Rowan says the Providence reading is especially good if Gandalf is really explaining things to Frodo here at the council. Yeah. Yeah. Basically saying. I didn't feel that I didn't see anything else that I could accomplish. So I did what what does not seem like the shrewdest thing to do. It really doesn't. Like to me, it does not seem like the shrewdest thing to do. Um, uh, it would seem to me that the shrewdest thing to do would be for him to retreat to the north, see if they're following him. If they are following him, continue and keep drawing them off. When it seems that they're not following him, double back, right? Hang on to Shadowfax and double back, um, hoping to get back to the road and do some good somewhere along the way, um, still in the company of the magic horse. That would seem to, and, and again, you ask, like, how would he know that they're nearby? He can sense them. He can even tell where they've been. Remember, he's following their trail um, out of uh, out of out of Crick Hollow. He 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 can, you know, his um, his. Uh, we don't know exactly how it works, but his his uh, you know Nazgul detectometer is fairly sensitive, um, uh, more sensitive than the Hobbit certainly. Um, but but um, uh, yeah yeah. So I, you know, would he be able to tell if they're getting closer? I would think so. And based on everything we've heard, I would think that he would be able to anyway. But he doesn't do that, um, and. Under the circumstances, understanding that as itself exactly the same kind of act of trust that get to keep the parallel that I was making to Aragorn after Parth Galen, um, I will argue when we get there, Aragorn is deliberately choosing the path which seems foolish. It seems dumb. Again, if you want to rate that on the folio meter, right? You want to apply, you know, how many Turins, uh, you know, is uh, is that decision? It seems like a bad one. I mean, yes, Merry and Pippin have been taken by the orcs, and everybody loves Merry and Pippin. But come on, come on, fate of the world, people, right? Fate of the world. Needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Come on now, right? The ring bearer is in danger. Merry and Pippin are in danger. Really? You're going to say, well, the ring bearer can take care of himself. I'm going after Merry and Pippin. On almost every level, that seems like the wrong move, 
It seems like the wrong move. He could still follow them. I mean, do we think that Aragorn would not be capable of tracking Frodo, right? Figuring out where he landed his boat and then tracking him down. He could find Frodo, right? He could. He still can find Frodo and go with him. It is not like the practical efficacy of the plan, which weighs primarily in his mind, right? He's looking at a much bigger picture there. Um, and I can very readily believe that Gandalf is doing the same, that he's making the choice which does not seem like the wisest, shrewdest possible choice. Um, he does not continue to play some kind of cat and mouse game uh, with, uh, with the Nazgul in the wilderness, um, which still seems to me that it would have a better chance of accomplishing something than saying, what I'm going to do is I'm going to head off on foot. I'm going to, I'm going to separate from my magic horse and I'm going to, I'm going to head off on foot in a multi-week journey, which is almost certainly going to take me completely out of commission and make it, you know, functionally impossible uh, for, you know, if I stay, there's a very small chance I'll be able to do any good. If I go off to the North, there's a 0% chance I'm going to be able to help them on their journey. Right. Um, except of course he does, right. He does still get there just in time, in plenty of time to be able to be of some assistance at the crucial moment at the Ford. Um, so, um, uh, anyway, uh, that's yeah. Gilgonther. Exactly. I think that we see this multiple times that trusting in intuition or fate or chance has a much higher success rate than playing the odds in this story. Absolutely. Absolutely. Completely agree with that. And that is why understanding Gandalf's choice in that way works for me. Works for me. Um, I can't convince myself that his decision is the best decision, is is the smartest, wisest, shrewdest decision. Um, But that's okay. It doesn't have to be. There's 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 plenty of, you know, let folly be our cloak. Right. There's um, uh, there's. That fits. That fits for me very well. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, Katriana says, do I think that he and Aragorn reasoned their decisions out or do you think they just had a feeling in those moments? Um, yeah. Well, Aragorn definitely is reasoning it out. Right. But I don't. Th- I both. Both. I mean, it. I suspect that Gandalf does have a feeling here um, and that he decides, you know, he makes a rational, rational decision based on that feeling. I think it's, I think Aragorn does the same. Um, uh, They can read the direction that things are heading. It's like they can, they can see where the story is going. That, That is the bigger story, the story that they're remember, you know, Sam and Frodo talking about wondering what kind of story they're in. Right. Uh, it's like the, the why those who are wise in the Lord of the Rings by definition, almost are those who can get a sense for what it means to be wise is getting a sense of where the narrative drift of the story you have been dropped into is headed. Right. Um, and what would be the best way for you to contribute to that, right? Rather than assuming that you are the protagonist at all times, right? And that it's up to you to find something to do. Um, uh, we see evidence that both, that Aragorn certainly, and I think if we, again, if we read Gandalf that way here, 
um, it makes a lot of sense to me that, again, he, he realizes, OK, I've done what I can. My part is done. Now I'm just going to I've been pointed in this direction. So this direction I shall go and I'll come to Rivendell from the north. That wasn't my plan. But that's apparently the plan now. So I'm, I'm going to roll with it and I'm going to go there in, in, in hope and faith. And it pans out and it pans out because he does get there in time. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, now, you're right, Rowan. Aragorn and Gandalf do reason about the past versus Moria. And we'll have to remember this conversation when we get there. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's easier to trust your gut when you've been known to be foresighted at times in the past. Well, though, Gilgonther, you could easily argue that trusting your gut is what being foresighted is, right? I mean, like the when people make declarations, uh, you know, I mean, you could almost paraphrase, right? Like, you know, Aragorn saying to Amir, you know, I got this gut feeling, Amir, that you and I are going to meet again, even though all the host of Mordor is, you know, lies between us. Right. Um, it's kind of what he's doing there. Right? His gut is kind of telling him that this is not the last time he's seeing a he's seeing Amir. Right. Um, uh, so I'm not even sure that a gut feeling and foresight are totally different phenomena. Right. Um, perhaps. Some people's guts are slightly more articulate than other people's, right? Uh, but uh, but anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Michael, you're exactly right. Michael's pointing to Gandalf's gut feeling about Bilbo, um, who on the surface looks like the worst ever burglar candidate, right? Um, um, but you can see, Michael, in as you point out, in Chapter 1 of The Hobbit, Gandalf sticking with his intuition, improbable though it seems, right? That it is important that Bilbo... And remember that Tolkien in narrative doubles down on this. In the quest for Erebor, when in the post-Lord of the Rings setting, when he's coming back and doing that quest of Erebor, Gandalf's perspective retcon on the Hobbit, right? Which is what the quest of Erebor is, ultimately. Um, he doubles down on this, right? He has Gandalf assert that, like, this was not just like his judgment of character about Bilbo, right? It was not just that he thought that uh, he does not look like a Bilbo, uh, a Bil he does look like a Bilbo. He doesn't look like a burglar, but trust me, he'll get there, right? He will become a burglar. Uh, that's not the intuition that he had, right? In, in the retcon version, he is overcome with this foresight, right? That it is crucial that Bilbo come along. And he can't even explain why, right? So he, like, pushes all of his chips to the middle of the table there in his argument with, with Thorin, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, anyway. Um, but I agree, uh, D. Torres, it is really important to distinguish between foresight and providence. Um, I... I there is a connection between them that I would make. It's the connection that I was making before. In as much as foresight is... Foresight is a sense of the direction that... Prov, that the, you know, if providence is one thing that we call, you know, basically God shaping the narrative of the world, right? God's plan for the history of the world. The story that is being told, right, that you find yourself a character in. Um, 
foresight, therefore, is merely getting a sense of where that story is headed, right? Um, so it's like reading Providence, if you see, if you understand the way I'm using the word reading there. Um, uh, so I do think that there is that link between the two of them, but I agree to rely on Providence is not the same as to have foresight about what's going to happen. You don't rely on Providence when you think you know it's going to happen. The point of those kinds of steps, like Aragorn doesn't know what's going to happen with Frodo, right? It's not because he is, you know, vouchsafed a vision or intuition that everything's going to be okay with Frodo, that he doesn't pursue him, right? It's in a very real sense, blind faith on Aragorn's part, right? Um, But it is also an inclination that, an inkling rather, that his job is somewhere that he's being pointed somewhere else and has something else to do. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Flamifer says, foresight is a glimpse of the song. Providence is the song at work. Yeah, yeah. Um, getting a, get and, and I, I come back to the, to the music Flamifer a lot in this way. You know, like if you, if you pay attention, right, especially if you pay attention for a long time, like Elrond or Galadriel, um, you can kind of get a sense of how the music goes, right? You can kind of get a get a get a feel for its dominant motifs, right? For the light motifs that come up in the music of the Ainur, right? Um, can can get a feeling for the drift of things, um, and I think that that I, that seems to me, especially in Elrond's case, one of the things that like what makes him a good counselor. Right. What makes him, you know, the the, uh, you know, so wise wherein his wisdom lies, essentially. Um, But. um, uh, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, and uh, C. Schwab, uh, Corey, I totally agree with you. I I don't want to I don't want to put too much weight on the two things, because you're absolutely right that there are different elements in Aragorn's decision that are not here for Gandalf, Um, particularly the the moral weight. Right. That his choice to turn away from Merry and Pippin would be abandoning them to torment and death. And that but that's so that is a total that that is a different factor. I agree Um, how I'd characterize that, though. That makes Gandalf's decision harder. The moral weight that lies on his decision, that's um, like a, a signpost for Aragorn. If an, it, it's like a, a, no, not quite a cheat code, I guess, but it's a, it's a pointer, right? It's a tip. Um, uh, it's a hint given to him, you know, by Providence uh, to suggest like, this is the right choice, Aragorn. This is the way that you should go. Um, Gandalf does not have that. You're absolutely right. And so, as far as he knows, when he heads off on foot, you know, so playing one more time the um, the game that we've been playing with with Gandalf at previous points in his recent narrative here, imagining what was going on in Gandalf's heart and mind as he says farewell to Shadowfax and treks off into the Etten Moors on foot, He's got to be in a certain amount of doubt, right? Um, at least it require it's going to require a, a, a robust 
faith on Gandalf's part, right? That he's doing the right thing because he does not have that signpost. And I agree, Corey, that's a really important thing. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but do I think, do I think he's capable of that kind of active faith? You know, that kind of, yeah, yeah, sure I do. Sure I do. Um, uh, and, um, and, you know, he's, um, he's been doing this for a while too. That is paying attention to the music, paying attention to the trends of the narrative of the story that he finds himself in. Right. Um, and so that seems to me to be a thing we could count on him to do. So in conclusion, so my conclusion about this then, uh, my conclusion is if I came up with it, our conclusion, I asked for help on this passage. You guys have helped me wonderfully. I, under, I feel like I understand this much better now. Um, and the conclusion, therefore, is does Gandalf make, does Gandalf have a plan? Because it, it looks like Gandalf had either no plan or be a bad plan. And the answer is, yeah, he, he, he doesn't. He is abdicating planning uh, and choosing to go on by the road that's open to him, trusting that things are going to turn out. And I can get into that. I, I can totally see Gandalf doing that. Um, and I like it. Um, I like it a lot. I like it a lot. Okay. And it proves well indeed. Yes, indeed. Everything does prove well. Um, and that, Frodo, is the end of my account. May Elrond and the others forgive the length of it, but such a thing has not happened before that Gandalf broke tryst and did not come when he promised. An account to the ring-bearer of so strange an event was required, I think. Okay. Um... My question here, I don't totally take Gandalf at face value here. Um, I do, I do think that he is, um, I'm not saying that he's being disingenuous. I'm sure he does believe that an account to the ring bearer of so strange an event was required. Um, but he had the opportunity to give an account to the ring bearer yesterday. <laughs> he could have done this at Frodo's bedside, right? Um, he could have pulled him aside in the Hall of Fire and told him the story before, right? Like, um, surely, surely. Oh, sorry. No, tryst just means uh, appointment. Um, did not keep, yeah, broke tryst. So, so a tryst is an appointment. When you uh, make a date with someone to meet at a particular time and place, that is a tryst. Um, and if you break tryst, that means that you stood somebody up, right? So he stood Frodo up and he's apologizing for standing Frodo up. Um, uh, but um, uh, yeah, yeah. Of course, the word tryst is most commonly when it is used, not used very often anymore, but when it is used nowadays, it's almost exclusively used to describe a like a, a date, like a a a a, a romantic assignation, um, uh, but um, it just means an appointment at a particular place and time. Um, but uh, the connection with the word trust 
is, I think, non-accidental, too. I mean, it's he made a promise, right? He told Frodo that he would be here, that he would meet him and leave with him. Um, and he did not show up when he was supposed to. The very latest that he would possibly have been back would have been the birthday party. And the birthday party came and Gandalf did not come. And it's clearly a big deal. Frodo thinks it's a big deal. Everybody's worried about him. Um, so, um, uh, so, so there we go. But yeah, so anyway, so I don't buy the fact that it is only the fact that Frodo was owed an explanation that Gandalf said this here in the council, right? Obviously he believes this to be important. Um, I just want to pause for a, a minute and ask why. Why does he tell the whole story? He needed to explain about his imprisonment in Orthanc because everybody needs to know, right? The two things, um, the two things are connected, right? What, you know, um, what of Saruman? What does he have to say? Um, uh, and all that. But, um, but anyway, um, he, So he could have told about his imprisonment. That's important to narrate in full. From the time he gets sprung from Orthanc, the rest of the account does seem a little bit optional, right? Um, so I escaped. Got, even if he wants to tell the magic horse story in order to preemptively answer anybody's questions about how on earth did you get up here so fast? Um, he could tell the magic horse story. Um, but you know, I got up here, wasn't in time to help Frodo and, uh, but got to Rivendell in time to help with the flood would have been enough. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, Lady Lakata, I like that a lot. Showing his various perils over the past few months would bring home how imminent the danger lies. It gives a sense of urgency to the matter of the ring. Yes, and Lady Lakata, I would add to that not only his dangers, um, but think of the um, uh, think of the um, the significance, right? Think of the significance of. Um, His description of his own despair, you know, we were emphasizing that because that was such a big moment in his story, right? When he thought for sure that the ring bearer had been taken and that the enemy had the ring and that, you know, the Witch King was as he, you know, was at that moment headed towards Mordor with Frodo and the ring in tow. Um, by describing this story and inviting us to imagine you know, those feelings and that, like by getting us to enter, you know, into that narrative frame, um, he is helping the people around the council to perceive how close it was, right? What almost happened there, what it would have meant had it happened, right? But also I think what several of you, um, what several of you were also pointing to that one of the net results of the story is also um, the fact that Providence seems to be working for them, right? This whole thing, 
was so close to a disaster, right? Even his, not only the story of his despair, brief, temporary despair, is effective, right? In like evoking those feelings of horror and terror in his audience to help them to emotionally situate themselves into like how important it is to keep the ring out of the Nazgul, you know, out of Sauron's hands. Um, but also his relief upon hearing the account of Butterbur, the eucatastrophe of that, right? The, the, the entire emotional experience of hearing his narrative point by point um, also serves to underline that other point, right? That um, on the one hand, this went really badly, really badly, right? From the moment I, get si- I got sidetracked to Orthanc right up until the Ford of Bruinen, um, really right up until Frodo's surgical procedure, things were more than dicey, right? And yet, everything worked out. Look how everything worked out. Look how everything worked out in this remarkable way. Frodo got connected with Aragorn, right? And Aragorn came in in the nick of time to help preserve them, right? Then I came in in the nick of time to, you know, draw four of the Nazgul away, so only five came and attacked. And then Gorfindel came upon them just in time to drive them off the bridge and enable them to cross the bridge and then to meet up with them again so that they could, you know, he could use Asphaloth to get them across the... I mean, there are a lot of ways in which Gandalf's narrative does really emphasize both how much out of their control this was. This was... The journey from the Shire to Rivendell, the first leg of the Ring's journey, went according to nobody's plan at all, right? And yet, everything worked out in really remarkable ways, including hanging out with Tom Bombadil, by the way, right? I mean, even all of that stuff, even the disastrous shortcut through the Old Forest panned out, in fact. Um, so, uh, uh, anyway, I think that that's... Um, that seems to, you know, um, as Gandalf would have, you know, said to Frodo in his parlor, and that may be an encouraging thought, right? Uh, I'm perfectly willing to believe that um, there is an element of that, right, in his story, that he wants to get, he wants to help all of them to understand what kind of story they're in. Because if they can see this, if they can parse this, if they can perceive what is happening here, how the story is unfolding so far, it is, in fact, going to set them up for the decision that they're going to make. Because, ultimately, the decision that I think that Gandalf and Elrond are both, you know, planning, right? The conclusion that they are, I think, definitely hoping to bring... um, uh, to bring the uh, um, the council to right um, is going to rely on exactly this kind of thing, right? Um, if you track with the overall providential pattern of how the ring was protected, right? The the providential steps involved in getting the ring from the Shire, inclu- you know, from from remember Gildor and everything else. Right? I mean, even all the stuff that we that we didn't, you know, I wasn't just alluding to Frodo's story plus Gandalf's story gives them a pretty clear, some pretty clear hints to guide them in the decision um, that they, uh, that they have to make. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, yeah. Um, now, I also totally agree, as several of you are pointing out, that this is just Gandalf's style as well. Yeah, I agree that it's his style. Um, but that alone doesn't answer the question for me because he draws attention to it in this paragraph. If this was just him getting carried away, right? If this is just him not being able to restrain himself from making an exciting story out of it, I'm not saying I at all believe that that's not part of the issue, right? It totally is part of the issue. But um, I think that he um, he draws attention to the length of his account and then he gives an answer, an ex a reason for his account, which is an insufficient reason, in my opinion. Yes, I know he was under doctor's orders not to give this whole story to Frodo yesterday. But if it were not relevant to the, if the whole council didn't need to hear it, if it's only for Frodo's benefit that he's telling the story, he could have told him. So he could have told him at the council, at the, you know, in the, in the hall of fire, he could have told him tomorrow. Right. And it's just been like Frodo. Yeah, there's I'll explain more. But, you know, like the whole like the the Gaffer Gamgee anecdote, the Barlaman Butterbur anecdote. He could have told Frodo that tomorrow morning. Right. They're going to have plenty of time. He could have caught up and, and, you know, told him all the story. So I do not buy that an account to the ring bearer of so strange an event was required, I think. Merely like, sorry, I was, sorry, everybody. I know it took a really long time, but I, you know, I had to tell that to Frodo and, and I just decided to make all of you listen to it, right? Uh, because I couldn't think, because, you know, I didn't have any other opportunity, but now during the big council to say it, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. But it does give, it does give an indirect answer, right? Um, uh, so anyway, I like it. I like it. But again, it, it's it's but that's why I feel like there's an, it's not just him. He's, he did not just get carried away. I don't believe that. Is it like him? Absolutely. It's like him. Um, is this his style? Totally his style. But I don't believe that he did it by accident. I don't believe that this paragraph is Gandalf saying, oh, oops, gosh, sorry, lost my head there um, and making an excuse that I don't think um, is um, is what's going on there. Um, yeah, Rowan asks, is Gandalf effectively communicating this idea of providence to Boromir? I, well, I mean, he's one of the audience, right? I mean, he's one of the people that I think is needs to hear it, right? Uh, for sure. Um, and Matthew, that's a really interesting point. Matthew Hershenroder says his explanation also helps to elevate Frodo in the eyes of the others at the council. That's a really interesting um concept to set up, right? Um, I, Gandalf, am doing all of this for Frodo and deferring to Frodo because he deserves it, right? Um, I mean, one of, you're right, Matthew, that one of the kind of subtext of that sentence is everybody realizes that this hobbit here is like a VIP in this council, right? Um, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, I mean, Elrond is, right? May Elrond and the others forgive the length of it. You know, he names Elrond. Um, but then he elevates Frodo. Like, the, he's asking Elrond's forgiveness. Like, I was perhaps uh, rude to Elrond and to everybody else, but it was worth it for Frodo's sake. And so you're right, Matthew, that does really draw attention to Frodo in a way which certainly does set up... Uh, the council to accept Frodo as ring bearer later on 
as, you know, a big deal, a big deal. Um, and no, I agree with Flamifer and Lady Lakata that uh, I also don't believe Boromir was likely to have been deeply uh, uh, convinced <laughs> by this. I think perhaps he might have proffered, profited from more instruction on this point. Um, uh, and then, of course, he announces the next agenda item, right? The tale is now told from first to last. Here we are, and here is the ring, but we have not yet come any nearer to our, our purpose. What shall we do with it? Um, I'm going to leave it there. We'll pick up with that paragraph. We'll kind of springboard off of that paragraph and into the next, um, into Elrond's massively efficient uh, response to Gandalf's introduction of the next agenda item. Um, <clears throat> I don't want to shortchange those four sentences because this is that's an important this is an important transitional moment uh, in the council, of course. But we did get to the end of Gandalf's story, so there we go. All right, so let's get it. Speaking of transitioning to the next agenda item, uh, let us. Uh, uh, it's field trip time, so we're going to turn to our field trip. Uh, thanks to everybody who can't stay for our field trip and uh, was just here for our uh, text discussion. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna continue our adventures here. All right. Um. Hi there. Hey there. Hey. Okay. How is everyone this evening? We're good. Hey, we're headed up towards Ross Gobel today, aren't we? Uh, I believe so. Yes. Yeah, that's going to be exciting. We're gonna we're gonna see if we can find our way to Ross Gobel. Uh, I've ne I've never been there in game, so this is this is gonna be a first for me. Oh boy. <laughs> Major location. All right, so I'm. Let's see, are we? I'm gonna. Yeah, I've gotta shift some of this around. Boy, we got a lot of hunters in here today. Well, there we go. That can only be helpful in several ways. I'm sure. So I'm gonna I'm gonna milestone out to Blomgard. We'll start from there. Yeah, Tomas, we're gonna get to Br oh. Grimbiorn's house too, um, in the fullness of time. That's probably where we're gonna finish up this area. Mm-hmm. Make sure I click the right one this time. <laughs> oh, yeah, you better go to the right place. Yes, sir. All right. Yeah, so, every time we talk about uh, Shadowfax going off and doing his own thing, I always hear in my head, he's not a tame horse after all. That's right. That's right. He's not a tame horse. Um... Is there, what happens, just out of curiosity, what happens if we head out towards Lyrlod down here? Is there anything down there? Does the map continue in that way or we run into a dead end? Dead end. Great. Mm, Let's uh, go that way. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, is it, it's, it's not like an absolute dead end. We just would have to turn north, right? Just a dead-ish end, maybe. Yeah. Know. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Um... Yeah, I'm okay with that. All right. So let's see. So we need to head... What direction do we want to go? I want to go... Wasn't there Wasn't there a way out 
It's been too long now since I've explored around Blomgard. Wasn't there a road that headed off in this general direction? Yeah, there was. Here it is. Right, there we go. Okay, and we immediately go into creepy forest. Yeah, just a bit. The minute you see uh, Spanish moss, oh, you know, nothing and cobwebs, that can't be good. Oh, yep, yep, yep. Okay, so we're headed out along that. There's a lake, I guess. Oh, and it looks like horns as well. Yeah, murk horns. How about that? Uh, yep. Okay, so we're we're murky. So we're into Merkwood territory. So we, we've crossed over. Right, we're we were right at the edge in the town. We were right at the edge of Merkwood, I guess. Uh huh. So now. Yeah, that would make sense. This looks like necromancer territory. Okay. Ooh. Whoa. Oh, that is a lot of. Wait, it's a lot of bad things. Ooh, here we're at a place. Yes, oh, we are. Oh, hang on. This is good. All right. So we we found a place called Kolsbrine. And who's here? What what is this guy? What on earth was oh, that? Uh, it was... Uh, I don't even know what species that thing was. Hang on, don't kill them all. Don't like, kill them all. Looked like a wood troll and Ungoladan Piercer. Ungoladan. Ungoladan from Ungolian. Okay, hang on. Leave one of them alive so I can look at it. There's an Ungoladan Piercer there. I can't... I still don't even know what species these things are. Okay, hang on. Here's one. Here's one. Uh... Let's see. No, I want to find the... Okay. All right. You're a... What? Troll? No, he's a guy. It just says man. Yeah, he's a, he's a dude. And he's got a, like a spider on his back. It's, a, that's a, it's an outfit he's wearing. It's not a... Yeah, look it at that. Almost it, looks like, it almost or, looks like those sort of Garadan men from... Yeah, um, except these... Except, yeah, no, it's not a wolf pelt. He's wearing he's wearing a bug. It's like a, what are those things called? The big bugs that are like the the the, the tarantula. No, like the grid big, the grid big, the grid big piercers. That's what they are. That's what I'm thinking oh, of. Grid, oh, grid bug. But no, the type of it looks like a big hairy hunter type spider, like well, a tarantula. Yeah. I can tell you what they are if you'd like. I'm uh, assuming it's an Angolian kind of Angolian. Thing. It is a game spoiler, though. Yeah, that's okay. Oh, okay. You don't have to give spoilers. Yeah. It's okay, like they're so, berserkers, but they're using spider pelts instead of like Yeah, so these are, and they're pelts. huge. Like, I mean, I'm human, right? And I barely come up to this dude's midriff. So, yeah, so like Andre the Giant. Kind yeah, of these are very large fellows, and they wear spiders like hats. Well, oh, like all the bones everywhere. Backpacks. I think they're cannibals. Oh dear, that's no Pretty good. Pretty sure they're cannibals. Uh, well, and Golian eats men, so maybe they're being like her. Or maybe it's a cult. Around so her. this is a totem. In fact, even labeled as a totem. In fact, it's an attackable thing. Oh, it, we're, it's 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 poisoning us. Oh, is it? That's that's rude. So okay, and 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 we've got a skull. It's got a skull. Whose skull? That, that, I mean, that obviously, it's not a spider skull on account of it only has two eyes and spiders don't have skulls. So, but it's like a... It's like they made a sculpture out of other things to represent a spider yeah. skeleton, which they don't have. It's like Michael's at Halloween. Yeah. Kind of they have like those eyes. tarantula 
where they have like those tarantula skeletons and you're just sitting there going, that's not how it works. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, Look, they put fake pedipalps on that big one up there. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at there. Yeah. It's like somebody made a spider, but they didn't know what a spider looked like. Or it's... Or that they were invertebrates. <laughs> well, that's it. Because they're vertebrates. That is the dudes, right? The, the, right they're not the gauridine. They're the ungolidine or something, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You think skinning the spider, they'd have figured that out. Right. Because, I mean, ungol means spider. So they're, they're, they're spider men, like the wolf, like the gauridine or the wolf men. Um, Spider-Man. They're Spider. the Spider-Man. Exactly. That's it. They're, they're, they're not that amazing. Disgusting. No. But not amazing. The not so amazing Spider-Man. Exactly. Oh, there it goes. Okay. There it goes. All right. That's Into okay. this pile of That's obviously humanoid a, bones. Yeah. And I agree about the cannibalism. Oh, well, except I'm not convinced. I mean, okay. They're called a dine. So presumably they're human. Um, yeah. But I mean, seriously, they are yes, Angola Don. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Spider Man. Um, yeah, yeah, Don, Don, like doing it, Don. Yeah, exactly. Man of the West. This is the Man of the Spider. Um, oh, that is just repulsive. Now I want to know how to say the Amazing Spider Man. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and they've got different spiders. So like this one's got the black, a giant black widow on his back. You see. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it they have a and they have little spider pets, which is hard. They have little surprising. spider pets, which look like a different type of spider. They don't look like hunters. They look like orb weavers. Yes, they do. They look like a black widow spider on its back. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. You know, you could see the little red uh, black widow thing. Now, what's what's this? Is this just a hutment? Is this just a little refuse? pit just oh it's meat hanging out to smoke yeah they're smoking meat of i dare not guess what creature yeah um they're very orcish men i have to say yeah yeah um wow okay but their huts they've got thatch and and beam huts Mm-hmm. okay okay and we have seen those before in Dunman. Yeah, the totems are kind of like the totems of orcs, you know, that we see, like the little, like the, you know, the old, the classic, like, wolf totem things that we've seen. Not exactly like it, but the wolves and goblins have had similar kinds of totems. Um, I would not be the least bit surprised to find that these dudes had some kind of Ungoliant legends uh, or like Shelob grade legends. Um, I would not Thanks. even be the least bit to surprise to find that there was another, uh, you know, kind of great spider from an earlier generation still lurking around hereabouts who sort of is the like local tribal deity of these folk. Um, uh, you know, would- yeah. But all the all the bones and all the meat everywhere makes me wonder if it's like a cult of devouring because that was kind of her yeah, thing. Yeah, it was her thing, absolutely. Oh no, there's a spiteful broodling attacking me. That's kind of adorable. Um, the fact that it's spiteful seems to be like it's not just hungry; like it has a grudge. You know, it's uh, it's uh, it's doing it just because uh, <laughs> it thinks you'll be annoyed by its attacking you rather than just How for sustenance. You. Yeah. Wow, that is 
these guys are so disturbing. But more... Where do they come from? Why are they so tall? I mean, I didn't even notice at first because I'm so used to playing Grifflet, who is about this high, you know, to like yeah. all of the... But I was like, no, wait a second. I'm not, I'm not a halfling here. I'm a full-grown yeah. dude. And I'm barely half high on this guy. These are big. These are taller than the Garadan. Yeah, I mean, when he stands up to full size, I was literally coming up to his belt there. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, there's a weaver, huh? Is that what the like the black uh, widow ones are called? Anyway, um, yeah, yeah. So, like, how, where, what did that? Up oh, here's some lore. Come... Oh, surrounded by spiders. More brood. Oh, more actual lore. spiders. No, there's a page of lore over here. Oh, there's a page of lore. Oh, great. Oh, look, I've, I've, I've. Look at that. Narnian has completed his first ever Slayer deed. How exciting. Aww. What's my. Hang on. I'm trying to read the parchment, but it's. Uh, oh, I picked it up, but I have to read it. Okay, hang on. Oh, dear. Where'd it go? Did I pick it up? It used it... to be that it had uh, an audio track with it, and there's been some issues with them making it for uh, the it says, item. Uh... Anda iluna toreva enya aye. Long is the Blackwood's memory. Oh, there it is. Luna iori yari aldaron. Aldaron. Dark are the hearts of old trees. Okay. So that gave us no clue at all. That has nothing to do with spiders at all. That just has to do with. It Who just wants? says old elven parchment. That should have been our first clue. It had nothing to do with it. Yeah, that's just just proves that these people are ripping up books and strewing pages around. Um, there might be some elf bones in here too. Right. Yes, we can't prove that these are all human bones, even though they do seem to no. And not, obviously, some of them are not. I mean, look look at this femur, for instance. Right, this femur that's a, like more than half my height. Which leads me to believe oh. this is one of their femurs. Yeah, maybe they eat their own dead. That's what I or was just, thinking. Just don't bury them. Right. Or feed them to the spiders, or devour them with the spiders if they emulate the spiders. Oh, yeah, I'll bet they do feed them to the spiders. Maybe that explains yeah. it. Yeah. All in service of the hungry one. Oh, man. How very creepy. I did not see this coming at all. Yeah, where is it? Okay, well, let's see if we can carry it. Can we get through? Did the road uh, just dead end here? Did we get anything else? Is there any way out? That'll carry on. We cannot north? get out. Can we, get, we cannot get out. Can we Can we go north and then around? We go back this way? Uh, this, is how, this is how we came, right? This way? Uh, north will take us to the lake. North will take us to the lake. Yeah, let's go to the lake, and then we'll continue around that way. Yeah, I got a bit turned around, I'm afraid. Yeah, me too. But wow, this was completely unexpected. I still want an oops. Hang on, dead end again. Oh no, oh, here we go. Tiny spiders are, tiny spiders are biting your teeth. More, more spiteful spiders. Okay. Well, I guess I should actually Just deploy my cat it. here. I forgot about that. Um, is my cat? My cat is still in peaceful mode. So hang on, I should probably. Oh yeah, yeah. S- set, killing set, sheep last time. Set my cat to. Unhappy mode yes. to attack one. I can't you can even kill do it. all the eight-legged sheep that you like. Kitty. Hang on, it's it's not letting me do it. What do I? 
Are I you can't. in combat? Um, no. Hmm. Oh well. I got nothing. I guess my. Yeah, exactly. I was trying to set my cat to kill. It's on stun right now, and I was trying to set it to kill, but it won't. It's not letting me. It says invalid target. What am I targeting? I'm not targeting anything. Oh, no, that's the attack command, not the set it to kill. Aggressive mode. Oh, there yes. we go. Okay, sorry. I was trying to shoot it rather than set it to kill. Okay, sorry. My apologies. Um, all right, good. Uh, so... If we head back up this way, that was this is just the path that's just going right back where we came. So this was a dead end, ultimately. So we have yes. to go cross country, I guess. Well, there's the lake over here. I, I think we found the lake. Oh. Um, there's a well, cliff. This is a cliff or just water? No, it's just water. Okay. Yeah, it's just water. So here's the lake. We found the lake. Great. I don't. Okay. Is there anything across the lake? Yes. Well, the general Ross Goble lead direction is across the lake. So. Oh, okay. I'm just aware there are some lakes and rivers where if you try to swim across, you suddenly get stuck in an undertow. Oh, dear. Well, one should always be cautious of unknown currents in strange waters. Okay. Caution is one of my weak points, apparently. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well. And when I'm in exploration mode, caution isn't even in my vocabulary, so... Caution is something you are unburdened with, sir. That is true. Ooh, I just saw architecture, and then the trees blocked <laughs> Yes. It. That's something that'll be fixed tomorrow, the trees. The trees will be fixed? Yeah. Um, they're doing a massive uh, restart tomorrow, from my understanding. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. It's basically actually turning the servers all the way off and rebooting the hardware. Which uh-huh. is not what they normally do every week. Right. Yeah, they were looking a little Minecrafty there for a second. Right. Okay. Beautiful old trees. Now this is looking much less Merkwoody. No. We're kind of green and lush and and happy here. So that seems a good sign. Hang on, we've got mobs. What are they? Is it the deer? It is the deer. The deer are going to beat you up again. <laughs> These deer are coming for us. This guy. Oh, there's fireflies. He's. Isn't this guy. Yeah, this guy. No, this guy is a red dot on my mini map, this heart. Yep. Bucks always are. They are? Yeah. Well, most places past troll shots, yeah. Oh. Well, that figures. They're super aggressive. No, it's, it's common practice. The males are more aggressive. The females. Yeah. It's probably redding season. Won't. Yeah. Unless you're way under level and they'll be like the guards in Vegbar. Or unless you're... <laughs> the moose in Dale. <laughs> right. Or, I mean, unless you're Grifflet and the deer just hate you in the Great River. But, um, okay. Yeah, the deer are carnivorous when there's no other food. <laughs> yeah, Where did uh, you guys go? I'm, I'm in the bushes, apparently. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm looking for... I'm just trying to get... Oh, it. oh it's an elvish fortress! Oh my goodness, look at that filigree. Oh yeah, I'd know that filigree tower anywhere. It's another ruin just like the other ones. It's a party house. It's a forest party house. Oh my goodness, can we get up here? Is this a way? Uh, Some people are getting up there. We're kind of spelunking, or not spelunking, we're kind of rock climbing here. I don't know if there's a better way. Is there an actual path? Scaling. 
I guess we should probably not. It's like the opposite of spelunking. Okay, yeah. let's. Um, let's I'll, I'll, I'll try to. I'll, I'll try to skirt it around. Anyway, we can. We'll see. Mm -hmm. if we can find it. And okay, it's telling me I'm in Ross Goble. That can never be Ross Goble. Is that Ross Goble? To the east. To the east. So like yeah. the opposite direction to the direction I came. That's just yes. fine. Yes. No problem. I'm keen to see the perimeter. So we've got several towers all broken off at various points. Okay. Wow. So you're not telling me that Radagast lives in an old elvish ruin. Oh, look at this. Okay, so there's another gorgeous elvish wall with the remnant of a tower. Is that a is that tree growing out of that tower? Okay, this used to be uh, a, this used to be a gate. Yeah. A gateway, but this tree. Look at the way that tree curves. Was this a part of the gate? Like I. I'm kind of backing up and trying to imagine what this looked like back in the day, if I can get out of the bushes. Okay, yeah. You'd have the arched gate, and then that tree is arching right inside. Was it kind of part of it? Man, the undergrowth is really thick around here. Yeah, just a bit. Okay, you know, I pictured a lot of things when I imagined Ross Goble. I did not ever picture this. An elvish ruin. Who would have thought? No way. Huh. No, yeah, I appear to, we appear to be there. This is, like, actually it. Unbelievable. Ross Goble lives in an old... Or Radagast lives in an old party house? Clearly constructed at the in the same time period and by the same people as that ruin just outside of Lothlorien. Mm-hmm. Right, let me look at that, uh, like, uh, you know raindrop, uh, you know, teardrop shape there in the pointed arch. Almost exactly yep. like the other one that we saw. Right? This was a big party house. It, like, this entire like little plateau up here at the top of the ridge was all surrounded by walls and towers. And then, ooh, what do we... It's kind of an Athelian quality to the whole thing as well. What is going on there? Is this a, a... It's like a water feature in the middle of it? I don't know. Now entering Ross Gomel. Unbelievable. What's on the floor there? Ooh. I don't remember seeing that design. Like the what's on the floor of this uh, broken old gazebo? Oh. Oh, the, the malachite vein. Yeah, we've seen this kind of design or some of these kinds of design features. So I've never seen that as a floor piece like that. Yep. Of course, most of the yep. gazebos that we saw before, of course, were Arnorian gazebos, like the artichoke gazebos, and the, um, and you know, mostly they have the star on the floor. Mm. Oh, and of course, we have a piece of old elven parchment here. Well, that always stands to reason. Um, Noro Arneldo. Sunny, uh, tassar, oak and beech, pine and willow gray, pine and willow gray, amarje on the randan fuinesi, have dwelt for an age in Shatton. 
Dwell for an age in what? So, shadow. Oh, Oak in and shadow. Beach, pine right. and willow gray have dwelt for an age in shadow. So we're we're. Wow. Okay. We're just getting snippets of poetry. It's not snippets of poetry, actually. and it's Mirkwood themed poetry. Yeah. Both of them so far have been Mirkwood themed poetry. You know, Elvish, where they have nine hundred names for trees. Yeah. See, there's the filigree, the gold filigree on the tower, which places it, you know, probably Noldoran, same epoch as the party houses in Arid Lewin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, once we're inside it, this was better fortified than most of the party houses. That's why we started calling them party houses, because they did not look like fortresses. They were yeah. all open and everything. This one is not so. So, you know, maybe we shouldn't call it a party house because this d did look like it was a fortress. Well, it's got pretty features. It is, because we're inside see, the walls now. Yeah, let's, let's see where we are in relation to everything out here. Yeah. Let's see. You know, I well, really wish we got a zoom-up map. That would be nice. It is near Gladdenfield, of course. Mm -hmm. But it's just, it's overlooking a, a lake. Yeah, a little. At, there's a what a, you mean like the little internal water feature? Yeah, just a very little. It doesn't look like any place that would be fortified. It just looks like a nice spot. This is a huge bird's nest, on the ground. <laughs> yeah. And okay. mockingbirds will eat you out here. Yeah, all right. Okay. So we've got right there's the, sort of, I guess it's not a cliff. Oh, I see a little grass hut and some aminals. Okay. Right. Okay, right. That's looking like the uh, occupied portion over there. Yeah, I mean, that fits with Radagast. The fact that he just picked a place nobody wanted and then did his own thing. Yeah, I mean, I... Um... Sure. I'm not, like, I'm not blaming Radagast for taking up here, right? I mean, yeah, nobody was, obviously nobody was using this ruin. Obviously, there's going to be, you know, like, good mojo here. Yeah, there's a lot, always a lot of good magic hanging around old elvish places. Exactly. We know, like, spiders avoid places where the elves used to be, so, you know, the dark creatures of Mirkwood would probably not come here, as, of course, apparently they did not, right? Like, um, um, as uh, JJ said, there's um, uh, there's no hostile mobs here, so you know. It smells like flowers. Yeah, lots of flowers and no hostile mobs. Um, I'm looking for. I keep wanting to click over to my map, like ho hoping against hope. I'm going to get a more detailed map. This is the outside approach, yeah. Yep, this is the outside approach. So this is like the actual way you're mm -hmm. kind of supposed to get in here. Yeah, Rather that's the way I went up, and then I was trying to find you. Oh, right, okay. I see. Okay, so yeah, so this is... So I'm trying to... What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to... Before it was all overgrown, trying to imagine it here. Because, um, mm -hmm. yeah, there's a wall and a gate. This is a gate here. It's not the most heavily defensible gate. It's a pretty big gate. But, you know... Yeah, I don't even see any ramparts or any place we get on top and shoot things. No. No, but you see, it might not be... 
if you're an elf, right? If you're elves, you uh-huh. might be defending against something other than, you know, like the barbarian hordes, right? Like it's Oh, it's, like Balrogs it, and dragons and Well, stuff. right. It's not necessarily folks with like swords and spears that are necessarily the only things that you're defending against, right? Um so I I'd less say defendable and more say secluded. It's like I think the location is doing most of the work. Yeah, quite possibly. Quite possibly. Well, I can see why Radagast wants to live around this lovely little pond in the middle. It's a watering hole. Yeah. We've got the big old lily pads and I mean this is lovely. It's 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 a really nice water feature. Where are there fish? In the water. In the water here. I'm guessing. Okay, right? Where? Giant, right in front of me here. It's a giant koi sitting here. Oh. I don't remember. I got filled the fish. Oh, right. Yeah. Look at this guy. He's like smooching. I thought it was a leech at first. Right. Wow. I don't remember seeing fish in the water before. Not not like this. Has that always happened? Uh, no. I've only seen the, well... I mean, I've, in Rohan, there's some fishing expeditions and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But it didn't look this. It didn't look this ornamental. They looked like your typical big gray old fish. I better set my cat on stun again. Um, <laughs> That's right. I could, I could, oh. could get in trouble. I like this little coracle here. I always imagine it'll be like a reaper cheap sized. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a little big for Reepicheep, but it is a really, it's definitely that, it's definitely a coracle, a coracle style. Yeah, it's its not meant for big cats like Will and for the second. Yep, Green Stand is all ready to head for Aslan's country there. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Like the lily pads, we saw some of them in Lothlorien, right? Not that we've been mm-hmm. to Lothlorien yet in our explorations here, but... Uh, Not yet. But I seem to remember that. Um, it definitely looks like he's using some wood elf architecture here. This is not your typical... I don't think we've seen... I don't think we've seen architecture like this at all. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, I'm kind of tempted. It's late. Uh, yeah, and we've already first exclu- made a truly disturbing discovery with that spider wow. village, which I was totally not expecting. Um, and then now we found Ross Goble and it's blown my mind. Uh, so, yeah, man, of all the things I was looking for, this was not it. There's so much here. There is. So let's come back. Let's come back and we'll look at we'll look at the Radagast portion of Ross Goble, which is a phrase I did not expect to be uttering, the Radagast <laughs> portion of Ross Goble. Um, so we'll come back and we'll look at this next time, and I, I want to think about this in the greater context of, like, if we can try to come to a theory about what the elves were up to here, um, and uh, and then we'll, and we'll look at Radagast's stuff a little bit more and draw some conclusions about him, um, and then from here, if we have time, we can head up towards Wood's Edge, apparently, and try to loop back around towards Hultfis, um, and then uh, and then points north. So, okay, all right, excellent. So let's um, 
Let's let's not spoil the wonder with haste, uh, as uh, Legolas would say, and we'll return to Ross Goble next time. Now there's no milestone or anything here, right? So it's going to be back across country no. again. Yeah, but if we don't, if we go around, if we shoot for the north side of the river, you know, in the lake, rather than the south spidery side, um, I think um, I think that we uh, will do better. So okay. Yeah, stay at Blomgard. Yeah, exa- exactly. So we'll come around that way again. All right. Anyway, thanks, everybody, for joining us today. This was um, uh, this was a, a very eye-opening expedition here at the end of class. Uh, and uh, I look forward to uh, joining you guys again next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.